Hello and welcome to the Deadline Detroit podcast. I'm Jeff Watrick. Uh, joining me today in studio will be uh, Ira Todd, who is the consultant for the new AMC show, Low Winter Sun, based here in Detroit. Uh, but first, we're going to pay a bill. Scrapbusters owner Bill Wild would like to thank all of Wayne County for 25 years of support. So who comes into Scrapbusters? Anybody that wants to save money. What we offer is a low-cost option for people to fix their cars and keep them on the road. You know, our customers have a blast when they come to Scrapbusters. It's very easy, it's safe, it's clean, and you can save a lot of money. And we just want to tell everybody we appreciate their loyalty and their business. Bill Wild and Scrapbusters, serving the community for 25 years. Welcome back, and joining me in studio today is my colleague, Alan Langle, and our guest, uh, Detroit Police Investigator, Ira Todd, who is also a consultant on the new uh, Detroit-based AMC show, Low Winter Sun. Hey, Ira. Hello. Thanks, How are you guys thanks doing? For, uh, thanks for coming by. Uh, you were, you were uh, the consultant for uh, Detroit 187, and yes. now you're a consultant for uh, Low Winter Sun. Uh, Detroit 187 didn't make it. Uh, would, do you see any difference in in, in the shows here? And yeah, I, I see a significant difference. Um, Detroit 187 was uh, kind of a prime time, family hour show. Uh, Low Winter Sun is more of a network cable show. It's going to be a little more gritty, you know, a little more uh, exciting, a little bit more entertaining. And in 187, each episode sort of completed. Finish up at the end, and this is more along the lo- the lines of The Wire and uh, Breaking Bad, where it's like one storyline that continues through episode after episode. Yeah, that's correct. It's this um, it's ten episodes. Uh, there's there's a number of storylines within that episode, but they all come together towards the end. So what, what is your role on the show? I mean, obviously the writers are doing the scripts and directors and actors, so how, how do you interface with all these sort of moving parts? Oh, God. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, um, I help create characters. Mm-hmm. I help develop scripts. Um, I might go by there and, and help them uh, design the set or tell them what's good, what's not good. Uh, there's a number of things. You know, they ask me questions from, you know, uh, how does a cop get undressed at night, you know, when he gets home, to, you know, what's some of the uh, uh, pressures that we deal with, the day-to-day you, pressures. You, you talk about when a cop is getting undressed, you say depending on how much he's drank. <laughs> <laughs> See, Alan, no, because yeah, cops right. here. <laughs> And, and so, uh, what, what's the reaction been? Uh, one in the community, or among friends, and also uh, among the, in, in the department itself. I mean, it's a story about two homicide cops killing another homicide cop. It's not the most flattering picture of the, the police department. What's what's the reaction been? You know, I, I get I get both reactions. I get one reaction where uh, there's a lot of cops that are excited just for the mere fact that we have a, a TV series about cops and it's interesting to them. Um, you know, uh, some cops call me and say, that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Other cops approach me and uh, I just had an incident uh, about a week ago where I won't mention this person's name, but they approached me <laughs> and uh, pretty much just kind of went up one side of me and down the other side of me and was like, you know, why did you make this kind of show? And uh, I just kind of explained to this person that uh, I didn't make the show. I just, right. yeah, I'm just a technical advisor on the show. 
But some people are a little, um, um, they get a little upset because it shows cop, it, it may demonstrate cops as a, uh, a crooked cops or, you know, or, or gives the impression that, you know, Detroit cops are crooked. That's not what it's all about. It's really about redemption. And, uh, you know, a city that's being redeemed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and this, this cop is struggling with some of, you know, and it does seem like it, in, within these first two episodes that have aired, um, there are seem to be some characters. The uh, the, the the female uh, detective seems to be sort of emerging as really sort of maybe. Uh, I, I don't want you to give anything away yet, but because uh, I I want to be surprised as a viewer too. But it, it seems like she's sort of emerging as maybe like the this sort of moral good force of moral good on the show. Yeah, uh, kind of a quick-witted cop that um, she's. She's developing into a good detective, but she understands some of the uh, some of the issues that's going on. She 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 she's identifying that something's not right. Mm-hmm. I, actually, one of the things I thought was really interesting about her is uh, you see it in, in the second episode. She's uh, she's Arabic and and speaks to the the um, party store guy in Arabic. I thought it was a really interesting. Local touch. Yeah. Probably you're not going to see that in a Milwaukee cop show, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and she's a strong, uh, mm-hmm. strong woman, strong police woman. And I think they're trying to show that side of, uh, you know, different police officers. Mm-hmm. You, you have given when you talk about uh, help create characters, uh, which characters? We've seen two episodes so far, and we've seen some interesting characters. Which characters have you helped uh, develop? Well, I helped develop uh, the character Papa T, and I helped develop, develop the character Low, uh, Reverend Lowdown. And then even, like, you'll find little things where they allow me to, uh, you know, name a character, and it may be a relative. You know, my wife's maiden name is Boyd, so we have an Inspector Boyd. That's the internal affairs <laughs> guy. So every now and then you'll, you'll hear bits and pieces that people can relate to and say, oh, you know, this came directly from me. But uh, Papa T was a, that's a name that we called my dad when I was younger. And um, when I went and did my undercovers, you know, a few years back, I, I used the name Papa T. <laughs> so I wanted to develop some sort of character with that kind of twist, that name, Papa T, you know. And the same with Reverend Lowdown. Reverend Lowdown was a, a guy that I grew up with, you know, that kind of ran the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to create a character that was kind of a neighborhood boss, you know. Did you, did you just sort of uh, appropriate the name, or is the, the character kind of similar to this real-life person? It's, it's similar to the real-life person, mm-hmm. but you want to know the real truth? Sure. Uh, okay. Absolutely want to know the real truth. <laughs> <laughs> We're right. Nothing but the truth. <laughs> well, actually, um, I got home one night. I left one of the cops' bars, and I got home one night, and I was sitting home and having a, finishing a beer, and it's probably, it was on the weekend, it was like uh, probably 2 o'clock in the morning. And they would call me L.A. time, so they called call me anytime <laughs> in the morning. Right. And me and one of the writers just started talking. And uh, just started talking about some of my childhood, my background, you know, what made, what makes a good cop, what makes a bad cop, you know, those kind of things, some of the things I've experienced throughout life. And I started talking about this character, and I just started really rattling mm-hmm. you know, about this character. So... Uh, you know, the guy was writing down this stuff as we were going, and the next day he told me, he said, man, that was some good stuff, you know. And that's why I was half sleeping, half, yeah. you know, drunk. Is, is there anything on the show that you look at and say, nah, that could never really happen, or...? Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of things you look at and say uh, it's not consistent with reality, like in terms of, uh, 
there's going to be some interrogation scenes uh, where uh, the uh, internal affairs detective is interrogating one of the police officers, you know, and he's in there by himself. There's no lawyer there. Uh, they didn't give him Garrity or anything like that. Mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of things like that that maybe I advised on, but they, with the time restraints, they they couldn't do you know do those kind of things. I mean, it is fiction at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of have to, as a de as a Detroiter, as someone who's been around here, sort of have to suspend disbelief when they the sort of Greek town mafia, like right because Greek town in Detroit is not Chinatown, right? Right. It's a very different thing, it, but it, it works for the show. Yeah. And they're just trying to, they're trying to develop, you know, the storyline mm -hmm. around uh, a number of things. Um, you know, uh, I did an undercover where we do undercovers in Blind Pigs, and, you know, I let these guys come in afterwards, and we'd be kind of showing what really goes down. And so they tried to develop a storyline around the Blind Pig thing, you know, some of the things that Detroit really had, you know. Um, the, the internal affairs guy. He's sort of, he sort of has more of an East Coast kind of feel, yeah, a, a little bit. But aside from that, in terms of the way he approaches people and his questioning, and his sort of his snarkiness, and uh, have have you, are there people like that really in, in, in the department, or is that kind of a little bit Hollywood uh, sort of embellishment? No, you you you'll have those kind of characters. soon. we talked about developing that character. You know, a lot of your internal affair cops, you know, are. Um, Kind of like the the square pegs for the most part, not you know, sure. not one hundred percent of course, but you'll have that kind of meticulous uh, square peg, kind of uh, the guy that won't uh, assimilate into the system, right? You know, to the old police system, not try to be like you know the hired street cop. So we wanted somebody that was kind of square. You know, he was a loner. You know, this guy duck hunt. You know, all those little things, mm -hmm. not not indicative of what. Some where, cops normally where, would do. Where'd they get the duck hunting thing? You know, I, some, <laughs> I know. Some of these, these writers just come up with a lot of stuff, you know, and uh -huh. they, they have a team of writers and they just develop these stories as they go. Is that a thread? We're going to see the, this, like, the IA cops duck hunting metaphor. Is that, <laughs> that going to go somewhere? We're going to see that in, like, episode five or six down the road and then no, come back. It's... I don't No, I don't think so. Okay. But you're going to see in uh, episode five and six and all the way through ten, it gets better and better. And I'm not just saying that because I'm part of the show. Sure. I mean, it actually gets better and better. There was times on the set, and I watch every episode being filmed. I read every script. I, uh, you know, uh, Chris Mundy was one of those guys. He said, if you see some crap, uh, you know, call me on the crap. And he said, I want to know. I want to know if this, if this seems authentic or not, or if, if it seems, you know, a little fake or whatever like that, call me out on it. And so when you watch the storyline develop, and, I mean, I, I would sit there sometimes and just be excited, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, these guys, these writers are amazing. Um, the show, the first episode opens with the, the two uh, detectives uh, talking, basically, about killing killing the third detective. And, and the, the one cop says, uh, you know, morality isn't black and white. It's not even shades of gray. It's, right. it's, it's a strobe light, <laughs> which I thought was just a great metaphor. Right. And you see it play out in other aspects of the show. Yes. The crime boss who seems to be a very devoted family man. Yeah. But also a ruthless crime boss. In terms of real-life policing, I mean, th that kind of access to criminal underworld and power and money, ill-gotten, you know, wealth. I mean, how much of a temptation is that? you know, day-to-day -day for police officers to sort of stay on the right side of themselves. I think I need my lawyer. Right <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, really, it, and 
the real truth of the matter, you you'll get a lot of cops and a lot of people that will give you these uh, generic answers or these mm -hmm. these fake answers and say, you know, that kind of crap don't happen. This and that. I've been a cop for thirty years, and I'll tell you, I've seen a little bit of everything. I've sure. seen some things that I'll take to my grave. You know that you see other cops do, but I do think that when you work in that kind of environment mm -hmm. and where you see death all the time, armed robberies all the time, rapes, you see the worst of the worst. Sometimes you minimize the smaller crimes, you know, you know, so every now and then you might, uh, like Eddie Murphy used to say, you might fracture a law or something. Right. In terms of, you know, if I'm sitting at a red light at 3 o'clock in the morning, no cars are around, mm -hmm. am I going to sit there or am I going to go through that red light, you know? Uh, in you know, most cases, I'll go through that red light. You know, right? Years, I mean, years I ago, past the statute of limitations. limitations. <laughs> I, I mean, I gotta admit, if if I, if I were you know kicking down the doors of a drug house and found a closet full of cash, you know, it might be really hard for me not to. You <laughs> know, I mean, that, that that would be a really tough thing to have to do but, day but see, in and day out. But see, that's not the tough thing, and a lot of people really, really no, they really hmm. think that. You know what happens with cops? They get really paranoid. And they really worry about things like that. If you walked into a house right now, and I've done it, where you've seen, you know, fifty or sixty thousand dollars, even, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, the first thing you think is, is it real? And it is, it's could somebody be setting you up or or it really? Yeah, That's oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, you'd be surprised. Things that that people think normally would go through cops' mind, it would be like, you know, first thing if I find money, the first thing I do, I let everybody know I found some money. Mm -hmm. You know, cops don't want, uh, especially. Good cops, you know, sure. and ninety nine percent of your cops are good cops. Absolutely, they they don't want that stigma of being a thief or a crooked cop or anything like that. So you'd be surprised when you see stuff like that. It it just it sends a like a signal that say, hey, look, I better alert somebody before I even think of something like that. You know, do you, do you, from watching, uh, you've seen the first two episodes, actually seen them, and and, and you know the storyline through it through yeah. the end. Is there a favorite character of yours or somebody that you think, God, I wish I could work with that person in real life? Yeah. Um, there's, of course, the two main characters, uh, uh, Mark Strong and Lenny James. Mark is amazing. Mark is intense. I watch Mark produce a tear and, I mean, get to change his face and produce this tear. Just it, it, when the director said do it, he do it, you know. And Lenny James, Lenny James is one of those guys where, I think, you know, in my opinion, he's he's highly intelligent and he gets it. I mean, he really gets it. Um, but I, and those are two of my favorite characters. But I think one of my main character, favorite character, is uh, Sean. And Sean's real name is Trevor. And Trevor plays this uh, cop that kind of falls into the streets. He becomes homeless. Um, he's a drug addict. And I mean, I watched this guy, I took him out. And he wanted to go out through Cass Corridor. He wanted to meet, you know, drug addicts. He wanted to see people walking down the street, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning like zombies and everything else. And I watched this guy, uh, you know, talk to people on the streets. And then later on you see him, you know, uh, present that character on the show. And, I mean, it was amazing how, how they just absorb this information that can come back and just act it out. You, any any chance of you making a cameo appearance on, on the show at yeah, some point? I think I'm too ugly and fat. <laughs> <laughs> I won't embarrass my family like that. Uh, well, yeah, one thing about cop shows is, is police officers on the show always look better than 
police officers in real life, <laughs> right. which I guess is true. Like lawyers on TV always look better than lawyers in real right. life, and journalists too. But, oh, uh, yeah. And, and every, everybody right now has, has pretty much left. Is it all, all the actors and the producers and all that? Everyone's yes. left town. Yeah. What's, what was the indication they gave you when they left in terms of whether you, they'd be back or not? Oh, yeah. I, I, I got a strong feeling that they will be back. And, and I'll tell you, from this cast, opposed to the cast from Detroit 187, uh, this cast seemed like family. When they dispersed, when 187 dispersed, mm -hmm. it was kind of like they finished the job, they clocked out, everybody went home. This cast seemed like they embraced everybody. They hugged each other. It was more of a family thing. They really, you know, I think they developed some sort of love for each other. What do, what do you think was the difference? Why, why that was? Well, I think it, it had everything to do with Chris Mundy. You know, mm -hmm. now other who's people, the, who's, the who, who's the executive producer and the writer, he's got a mellow, nice personality. He is very nice. Um, and I think when people come on the set, especially when he's around, you get really relaxed. It's like a family thing. People just welcome you in there. Now, some, uh, I talked to some other people about that on the, on the set. And one of the actors said it was all. It's all about the main character. He said if, if your main character, lead character, has a great personality, he's everybody kind of follows suit. But if the main character is one of those guys that's walking around like you know, where's my bagel? Where's my coffee? <laughs> right. That type of thing. Everybody follows suit with that. So, um, but I'm telling you, it was a great cast. You know, one of the. It seems like the the city more so than than one eight seven. Um, the the city itself is kind of a character. On this show, how much a role did you have in, in helping them sort of how they were going to visually display Detroit? I, I think minimum role on that. I took them okay. to different places, but but I think they had an idea of what they wanted to do, and and what they wanted to see. But I remember when they first got here, before they even decided to shoot here, Chris and uh, I believe it was uh, one of the guys from Enema, um Forgetting his name right now, he's going to hate me for this too. <laughs> he's, he's a really good guy too. But they came out and they said, look, show me around. And I mm -hmm. said, what do you want to see? I said, you want to see real Detroit or you want to see what everybody else wants you to see? And they said, show me real Detroit. So I took them around to different places that a lot of people avoid. I mean, where people would normally be afraid to walk down the street. And I just wanted to show them that there is a underclass of people that, that are good people, just but just happen to be stuck in this city. And once you know they got out the car and they met people, we hung out at different people's houses. Um, shot pool, you know, things like that. And uh, once we left, they were like, oh, my God, couldn't believe that. You know, uh, normally this one guy that I would be afraid of, you know, he was just a normal guy. You know, he may have looked a little thug, thuggish or right. whatever, but he was just a normal guy. How do you feel How do you feel about, through the first couple episodes, how the city has looked on the show? I mean, do you think they're capturing it correctly? I think they're capturing a part of the city. Sure. And, and, and that's what a lot of people give me a little hell about. Why don't they show the nice part of the city? Well, there's another part of the city, too. And what about these forgotten people? So why don't we show that, that real city? You know, um, in the first episode when Mark Strong comes out of his home, locks his gate, you know, the bars on his door, and then he picks up a piece of paper and, and drops in the dumpster, you know, I know people that do that every day. Right. You know, they're trying to maintain their little space. And across the street, there is a, a, a burnout house or a crack house or something like that. But those people are still trying to live in there and maintain their little area, you know. Yeah, that felt like a very Detroit moment to me. Oh, and yeah. I have to say, frankly, I thought 187... You know, they tried to drop in the Detroit Robinson and all, but it didn't look, it didn't feel like this was actually taking place in the Detroit we know. Right. 
you know, good good parts of Detroit, bad parts of Detroit. It's got a care a feel to it that. And, and I and I think nationally, I think what that's what made The Wire successful. That's what makes some of the other shows successful. I think people from other places really want to see those dark side or those places that they would normally venture into. You know, they come to visit Detroit, they go downtown, you know, and they maybe go to some suburban areas and mm-hmm. visit. But how many people actually, you know, uh, visit without relatives here that would actually go into the hood, you know, and walk through the hood and meet people and, and or go to the uh, corned beef place where you can get a, a corned beef egg roll, you know. Right, yeah, the lake trout yeah. sandwich on the wire, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know. So Tell I, us about the corned beef egg roll. I, I know. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, Wyoming and... Um, and Schoolcraft, it's this this little Asian place that they sell corned beef and they sell Chinese food, or right? you know whatever. Sure. And they make a corned beef egg roll. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, the arteries probably clogged up like that, but it's amazing. Was it you were you were at a lot of shootings in different parts of the city, and I was at one of them over on Clink Island, right off of Alter Road. Did you did you have a favorite place that you just said this is such a cool place to be shooting from? A lot of times, because I would get off work and go shoot, I was happy to just shoot on set because I could just sit down and just relax. But I think one of the probably um, my favorite place would have been the Blind Pig. They took an abandoned, one of those old abandoned houses, and they recreated a Blind Pig. They put chandeliers in, and, and they kind of made it like some of the things I used to do undercovers in. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing how they can take from your description, you know, uh, just from something that they they hear you talk about and describe and they create these things. I mean, they create these things within hours. Well, Ira, thank you uh, so much for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing uh, the rest of this uh, first season play out. Uh, and uh, hopefully if it all works out, uh, have you back for the talk about the second season. I certainly hope so. Okay. Right. Take care. Thank you. Great.